Hello and welcome to It's a Musical Podcast, the podcast show where I force my fiancé to watch the musicals he really should have seen by now and then we talk about them. I am the fiancé. I'm Drew. And we are off to Paris this week. Not literally. <laughs> Unfortunately for you, you'd love to go back to Disneyland Paris. I mean, it's not the Disney of choice, but... You know. It's a very good Disneyland. It's a very good Disneyland. Yes. I like it. Hmm. Even if I was there just before Avengers Campus opened up. Mm-hmm. Is there, uh, this is a bit of Paris I've been to, but I've not actually been inside. I, I went outside and I took a snappy snap. But Yes, you and our friend Andy. No, not with, not with Andy, though. I thought you did. No, we didn't go near there because that was, you know, teachers on tour. <laughs> yeah. Probably not, you know, not really. Probably shouldn't take teenagers. Down what is the Parisian red light district. Mm-hmm. No, when I went... Um, in like 2009, I made sure to just get a tube so I could take a picture outside the Moulin Rouge. And I considered going in, mm-hmm. but the prices were a lot. So I did not. <laughs> but really, the reason I wanted to, and the reason I'm so excited for this episode, is because I love the Baz Luhrmann film. Mm-hmm. Absolutely adore it. It's a film that I haven't watched too much. So it's still special when I watch it. Yeah. In fact, we, we probably the last time we watched it, or I watched it, was three years ago when we first mm-hmm. moved in together, just before starting the podcast. Yeah. And I, lo- I think I like this film more than you do because I know that you can't remember certain set pieces of this film. That is because I turned this film off about... Mm, 15 minutes before the end. <laughs> it's like that episode of Friends where everyone learns that Phoebe's never seen like the end of Bambi or the end of It's a Wonderful Life or things like Sound that. Sound of music. You know, because <laughs> her mum would always stop it when it was positive. But I... Yeah, the end, the end of Moulin Rouge is they do the show and everyone lives happily ever after. So you stop it two minutes before the end? No. <laughs> I stop it before they do the show because I'm like, nice, this will go well. End of movie. But I do have the bulk of the soundtrack anyway on my playlist i can do both parts of elephant love medley quite happily Mm -hmm. i love come what may i think it's a really good original song yep your song by elton john is always a song i've loved anyway but it's perfect Mm -hmm. and you also have some really great like comedic sequences like where we have like a virgin and of course, one of my favourite Queen songs ever, The Show Must Go On. Absolute bop in the film. Which is a bit you don't remember. I have absolutely no memory of that. But now that you've replayed it for me just before we started recording, I sort of understand why I don't remember that. Yeah. Because the way that it's played, obviously it's sung by Jim Broadbent, who actually is a really good singer but tends to do that thing where he talks yes. quite a lot of the lines and then does the big chorus so i'm very excited for this one i've said this at the end of last week's episode i have wanted this as a proper musical experience mm. since the first time i stopped watching the film at 14 years old it's mm. such a good film and i always thought it was like tailor made to be turned into an adaptation yeah so the fact that we have the adaptation now. I'm extremely excited to go to the Piccadilly Theatre and see this. Nice. I know that it's a... 
had some controversy attached to it in America, mostly through the Tony Awards. Yes, it very much did. And I believe at the time we talked about the Tony Awards and what was going on with that. Yeah. But if you don't remember, Aaron Tevitt... Who is phenomenal. Who's a phenomenal actor, but was up against just himself. (laughs) For the uh, best actor in a musical Tony. Yes, even though there were other shows running at the time. Yeah, obviously it's the Tonys that, you know, were heavily hit by COVID. But when you look at the fact that Percy Jackson, the lightning thief, got Mm -hmm. nothing, it does kind of discredit the award, doesn't it? When you're the only nominee. Yeah, it doesn't look great. When there were other shows that you could absolutely say, they'll get a nomination, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm not like saying we give everyone a, you know, a participation award, but are you really telling me that none of those actors in any of those other shows deserved to be even nominated? Mm -hmm. But overall, it feels like people have a very positive opinion of this show. And you certainly seem to be quite positive about some of the changes that have been made for the sake of the onstage adaptation. Yeah, I like that they've changed some of the songs around. I like that there's been songs added. I will say the first time I listened to, because I've listened through the full soundtrack of this, I did not think I was going to get tickets to see this anytime ever. Because A, it's quite expensive. It's it's one of the more expensive London Especially if you want like the ones that are in the stage. Well, yeah, that's sort of insane on its own, but... Like, just to get seats. It's, it's one of those ones that's up there with, like, The Lion King and Phantom for how expensive they are. Yeah. And I'm sure Frozen's up there at the moment as well. But also, it tends to be completely sold out. Because it has the name value. Yeah. And you're booking, like, months and months in advance. And people are going for birthdays and hen nights. And, as your mum experience. Yeah. And making, like, a whole big trip of it you know just to see this show which is fantastic because people are going to see more theater and are you know bringing the theater world back to life which is great but i was like i'm never going to be able to see this so i'll listen to the whole soundtrack get an idea of what's going on i love the use of some songs not all of them there are a few where i'm like "Eh." yeah you know whatever and there's a couple of songs As I think there always tends to be in a jukebox musical that I just don't even know. Yes, we had that with Priscilla, with the someone left the cake out in the rain. Which I knew and I got, but you didn't get at all. Yeah, and I do think that is the issue with jukebox musicals. Because people aren't necessarily going to go see Moulin Rouge because, oh, you know, it features some of the music of Katy Perry. Mm -hmm. They're going for the name of Moulin Rouge. And you are going expecting certain numbers. Yeah. Case in point, when we were in the theatre. Oh, at the the opening of Act Two. Yes. The woman behind us, who was just having the best time, she was really loving it. Yeah. And not like singing along or anything, very respectful theatre goer, but she was obviously very excited to bring her friends to see this show. And she said, oh this is it, this is my favourite song. And she was expecting... Roxanne. Sure. Uh, and instead, Act Two does not open with Roxanne because we're not that far into the plot yet. No. It's uh, backstage romance, which yes. is a 
Incredible is great, number. and we'll talk about that in a moment. But yeah, because it does start with the Argentinian and his. It's just him lover. and her sat on the stage, which is also how Roxanne opens in the film. And the song ended this huge, phenomenal number, and she went, "Oh, they didn't do Roxanne." <laughs> I was like, I wanted to turn around and be like, "No, it's coming, I promise." But when it did happen, yeah. she was so excited. But, so, so there is that element of. There are certain songs that people are going to this excited for. And we will talk about where I'm pleased and where I'm not pleased in a moment. But maybe the biggest change that I knew going into this was to Elephant Love Medley. That we've listened to it. I've got both versions on the playlist already. And the first time we played the musical version, I couldn't sing along anymore. Mm -hmm. Because suddenly they've added, you know new bits to it and it was initially quite jarring however i as time has come on i do appreciate it, and i love that there are even more bits to it the licensing for this must have been an absolute nightmare mm. absolute nightmare if you look at the back of the program all of the different credits of all the songs they've used it's like two pages and it's on a small print as well I'm not surprised that certain songs had to be omitted. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I'm fully aware of licensing. It's disappointing, but I do understand. I think they've done a really good job at adding to Elephant Love Medley and keeping the spirit of the original. And, you know, like the opening and the ending being the same. Well, just even when you look at it on Wikipedia, Wikipedia the list of songs that are in here then marked to say which ones were in the film and which ones are yeah. added but it's just so funny and one of the things i like is how they've you know in some cases they they try to give them like names that are appropriate you know or like a, a mashup of of the names so like you've got dancing with the duke crazy rolling yeah crazy rolling uh as two really nice examples of that mm-hmm Backstage romance is bad romance, tainted love, seven nation army, toxic and sweet dreams. Yeah, but I love that, the idea of it being, you know, backstage romance. Mm -hmm. And that's a really good song. And what I really like, and and we'll talk through the song choices in a bit, there's some really good songs Mm -hmm. from a range of eras that do fit in with this world. Yeah. I think the Piccadilly Theatre is perfect for it, and they've really gone all out in terms of just the elephant and the windmill yes like what even that is i know we're getting the rise of um immersive theater yeah, lord at of the, the rings the immersive musicals coming I'm, I'm excited to take you to experience that yeah and you've got newsies and guys and dolls guys and dolls it's happening all over the place now which is great it's really cool that that's happening i i particularly liked when we went to see uh anyone can whistle yes that was really good. That was really immersive. With this, you have audience immersion of when you get there, you walk into the building and you have on the stage, well, on the sides of the stage, the windmill and the love elephant. Yeah. And they're huge. Yes. And they're definitely sort of foreshortened to mm-hmm. make them look bigger, but they're just incredible. And you also have the ensemble cast on the stage already acting as if they are there working at the Moulin Rouge which is really cool you have some really nice like fairy lights and just general mood lighting going on in Mm -hmm. the auditorium as well they're definitely playing Parisian music as you go in which 
it's the same thing on a loop and after like 20 minutes of it does get a little... A little bit. We sat down too early, I think, though. Well, we, we had to get to London early, that's the thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but even the walls have been covered in like red velvet curtains and you've got the little sconces with the candles in them or what looks like candles. Yeah. It's obviously not because <laughs> we're not crazy, but it's just all very much designed to immerse you in that moment. And there are moments in the show where the house lights are put up yeah. as part of the show. Yeah. But then you also have the second layer of immersion, which is that you can go and sit in a part of the stage. Yes. It's essentially the orchestra pit, but you're on the same level as everyone else. Yeah. And there is a little stage that goes through the middle of it, like catwalk, and then there is a bigger catwalk that goes around the back of it. They do perform behind you. They do. If you you're have sat to constantly there. move and, and look, but you're sat at a table, they'll bring you drinks and you get like a meal whilst you're there. Yeah, you get food and drinks and like cocktails that nobody else can get, that kind of thing. I will it's say, just very cool. as cool as that is, I think I'd be incredibly uncomfortable in those seats considering, you know, the costumes that some of the female ensemble wear. Not even just the female ensemble. No, but everyone looks some of those, and you'd be like, exceptionally yummy. You know, like very, like basically on eye level with some certain intimate areas. Well, one of my favourite things that I saw in the whole night was during. I'm assuming it's the rehearsal process yeah. for the spectacular. Oh, you mean Bohemian Rhapsody? Yes, which that I love. One of the ensemble was doing his stretches on that little catwalk bit. Yeah. And there was a guy who was sat there in the audience in that section who just was, like, leaning away <laughs> because yeah. they were so close to But it is, and you have the women who are in some very revealing outfits, which, no shaming, obviously, great, it's Moulin Rouge. But again, like, you have that moment of being, like, completely eye-level and being like, look at that performing in the face and be like, oh, God, I'm embarrassed, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, well, I saw a really good TikTok from a performer who I believe is in the Broadway cast of yeah. Moulin Rouge saying that her mum came to see her in the show. And was like, all that money spent on theatre. On theatre school, and you could just work at the actual Moulin Rouge. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, great. But it's also when you go outside, like, when you are getting into the theatre, mm-hmm. you know, the red lights, it does look amazing. It's definitely, it feels like you are stepping into the world of the Moulin Rouge. Mm-hmm. I got what I think is my favourite piece of merch from a show ever. Your hotel key. The design of this is so genius. And I am probably one of the very few people in the world who actually cares about uh, hotel key designs. But the little, I don't even know what shape you would call it. The sort of diamond but rounded end shape of hotel keys. And I'm sure in America... This is, like, not a big deal. But for me, (laughs) I think that's really cool. Mm. They have one that says Moulin Rouge, and it looks like you've got your hotel key to stay at the Moulin Rouge. And I love it. I want one of the um, Overlook hotel ones, because those are really cool. Room 113. Yeah, I used to have one that, like, 30 Seconds to Mars street team gave out before there, because the kill video is inspired by The Shining and it was like 30 Seconds to Mars and it had mm-hmm. that and it's very cool. See, that kind of thing is really, really cool because not only are they creating an immersive theatre experience, but then you're also selling merchandise that plays into that, yeah. the hotel key. Obviously, you've got the normal things, tote bags, programmes, yep. 
that kind of stuff. I got my tote bag. Of course. But then you have shirts and hats and all of that stuff. But I got that um, that one yeah, little is very unique. I got I myself it. a nice uh love pin yes, as well. Because they, they have the freedom, beauty, yeah. truth and love, the Bohemian mm-hmm. ideals. And you know, there's some really good merch as you go there. It is very right by the entrance as well, so you, like it catches your eye. Mm-hmm. You're very like, ooh, what do I want to buy before I go down? We're not going to do... It, obviously, if you're listening by this point, you know we're not necessarily doing our preamble in the traditional sense. It's going to be very much like our West Side Story. We're aware that a lot of people may not have seen this one. And there's so much to talk about that, really, if we were to talk about everything broken down detail to detail to detail, we might be here for four or five hours. Mm-hmm. And I know we definitely plan to revisit Moulin Rouge later this year, hopefully. We want to do the film again and and talk about the film yeah definitely was there anything you were most excited about before you you came to see this one was there a particular song particular moment that you were most like looking forward to i think well so definitely backstage romance because i remember seeing that performed on all-star musicals they came onto that as like the moulin rouge performance performance and they performed Backstage Romance, and I just thought it was crazy, incredible. Like, that dance must be a workout. So I knew I was excited to see that one. I really, really like the opening of the show. Yeah. All of the big numbers I was excited for, because I was excited to see how they would do them. I will say now, I don't care... (laughs) about Christian and Satine. I know you're supposed to, they're the heroes of this story, but I am vastly more interested in everyone else that works at the Moulin Rouge. Yeah, so if and, we're going to talk about the plot, yeah, I have to say, like, it's my, I love this show. I mm. absolutely love this show. But I don't feel I had the same connection to Christian and Satine in this. Mm. Mostly because the Duke is such a snack. <laughs> First of all, Yes, he absolutely was. Second of all, because of the way that they dressed him, mm-hmm. he comes off as less slimy and more just kind of a bad person. Yeah, he's definitely not a good person. Yeah. I don't know how to say it without just being like... He gives off red flags, but not in the same way as the film. The film he comes across no, as... No, the guy in the film is little and creepy and slimy and makes all weird little comments in his weird villain voice. Yes. And in this, he just kind of seemed like a rich dude. Yeah. And once again, <laughs> for like the eighth time in the last two months, we've seen a show where I'm like, what this guy is offering you is better than what Christian is offering you because the Duke could fully have paid for her to get medical help. Mm-hmm. I mean, not by the end of the show. It's a bit late. Then, yeah. But, like, if she'd have been at the beginning of the show, like, hey, by the way, I'm really ill, he'd have been like, cool, cool. Yeah. And I think, really, because, you know, the film very much keeps her and the Duke separate... So there is like Yeah, a, she's trying to stay away from him as you know, much as possible, but she doesn't in this. No, she doesn't. They are still having their own kind of affair. And she seems drawn to him. Like, obviously, he's not a nice person. 
No, but he but he definitely does, inspires something in her. He does, and almost certainly, like he offers her an out, which she seems like she wants to take, and also he does treat her with kindness. Yeah, it's only when he realizes that he's being played that he comes across truly malicious towards her. I've just realized why that difference is there. In the film, Nicole Kidman Satine wants to be a real actress. Yes. That's her whole... Well, that's what she wants. That's her whole deal. Mm. In the stage show, she only performs at the Moulin Rouge because she has to for money. Yeah, because she was, like, broken as a child, you know? like Yeah, and she literally says at one point... The Duke says to her at one point, sorry, oh, you know, once you live in this giant house that I've bought for you and you're a fancy woman, you can't work there anymore. And she's like, okay. Yeah. Because she doesn't work there for fun. Like, it's not because she wants to be there. It's because she has to be there and the people there are her family. But, oh, we also get in the stage show. These are, like, really weird little things that I'm just suddenly Mm -hmm. thinking of. He's married. Is he? Yeah. (sighs) Because he says to her, "Um, it wouldn't do for my mistress to be performing in those kind of shows. Yeah, she does say the mistress. Which implies that he's married. Does so he already has a duchess. It's not like she's going to become a duchess. She she would be like a kept woman kind yeah. of thing, which again isn't terrible. Well, and again, but it is that kind of Jane Eyre, no man, no cage shall ensnare me type thing. So she's, you know, she, yeah, she doesn't want to be owned by yeah. somebody. That's fine, fair enough. But Christian is kind of doing exactly the same thing to her. Yes, because and he's doing the whole muse thing, which I always find creepy. I yeah, and this is this is ultimately is I don't feel like they have the exact same connection. Maybe it really is just like the magic of cinema, and especially Baz Luhrmann cinema, that you know you have all the great editing techniques and like iconic portrayals by Nicole Kidman and Ewan McGregor. Yeah. I, I feel very much like it's a summer infatuation. Like, if Satine didn't die by the end of this, her and Christian would have fizzled out. 100%. She feels like she's only doing this more so than anything. It's not for love of him, but love of his music. You know, because she goes on about how I must do this, the world needs to hear his voice. It's, it's like she's in love with the idea of being in love with him. But I think she loves more about what he represents. And he loves more... What she represents yeah there is there isn't that kind of like electric that flows for them and this isn't the, the performers because jamie moscato oh my days he is incredible as christian we talked about him briefly last week with heathers and i have been listening non-stop to him singing meant to be he's such an incredible performer and he really does bring it as Christian and I, I think as well that Melissa James does a really good job as Satine yeah fantastic but it feels very much like the writing doesn't give these two like those big moments together where you feel yeah I think I don't think there was ever a time where the, just the two of them were on stage together well they would have been for the initial bit before he goes into your song yeah, but even then, we've got the joke of the gang popping in the background. out in the background. Yeah, and they would have been on stage together just then for Elephant Love Medley with obviously Ensemble, but we, you know. Yeah. I, and I, I think they certainly had moments, but you just never felt like the closeness between them in, in terms of the writing. So when it does come to like this final act, 
you don't feel the same sense of like broken passion that you do mm-hmm. and it is something that i think ultimately the show struggles with a little is the writing yeah as a showcase this show is amazing like amazing lighting like some of the best choreography i've ever seen mm-hmm. but i think it, it almost realizes that people are here for the songs as opposed to the plot. Yeah. Does that it's make more sense? like a vehicle for the songs. Yeah, and that's it. And you have that age-old problem with jukebox musicals where it's funny, where they... Yeah, and I think they do a really good job of leaning into that. Mm-hmm. So having things like during the Bohemian Ideas uh, song, Never Gonna Give You Up. Yeah. That's really funny. What was the one... Where they really leaned into it. It was one of Christian songs. I think it was Shut Up and Raise Your Glass. Yeah. He t- he literally turns to the audience, they spotlight just his face, and he was like, oh, don't you dare look back. And I was like, that's hilarious. Yeah. That's great. Lean into it, because it is always funny when jukebox musicals go into a song that you know from the real world, and also doesn't always perfectly fit with what they're going for. Yeah. You know, they very much cut these songs down so that they do fit exactly what they want. But it does give the glee effect, which is where, like, someone will spin around and just start singing. You're like, okay, there's a song now. One of the things I especially like about this, though, is... So I I really do like the, the depiction of the Duke in this. You know, Ben Richards did a fantastic job, Mm -hmm. you know presenting a very different take on the character which you know would have been easy to just make the duke this like weasel devious character instead he you know don't get me wrong he's devious he's you know knows what he's doing he's like all my money is invested in this show i will pull the plug and you will be shut down yeah but he was absolutely brilliant but i really really liked the development of harold Ziedler, and i thought matt rickson was absolutely incredible what was almost just like a, a kind of one note character from like the film with Jim Broadbent mm-hmm. has so much more depth and detail here. And we get to know the character a little bit better. Yeah. He's also now canonically gay, yeah, which is awesome because that was sort of only alluded to in the film. I thought he was married in the film because I'm pretty certain he has a wife in the film. If he does, then he was sleeping around. Yeah. But also in the stage show, he is betrayed by his boyfriend. Mm. And you can see when that hits that character. Like, it's a big deal to him. You also have... I like the bits where he's talking about, like, doing his performance with, like, a razor. Well, I'd have a a razor here. Can we not have a razor? Can we not have a prop? (laughs) And then he has it. And he goes, razor! (laughs) (laughs) He's very good. And whenever he's on the stage, you're certainly, like, drawn to him. Well, what I really like as well is that there's a very clear difference in the character between when he is performing mm-hmm. as Harold Z, the owner of the Moulin Rouge, and when he is himself. Yes. Because he's so much more toned down, and it's really nice to see that big difference in the character. I feel like with Satine, even though her performance was incredible, she is the same person when she's performing as she is when she's not. Mm-hmm. Which I think... 
I feel is because we don't get that bit in the film where she's saying to Harold, like, oh, what kind of girl should I be for this Duke? Because she's she's always performing. She's always got a mask on. It feels a little bit like Zoolander, where he's like, which look shall I do? I'm working on blue steel. And then it's like, it's the same look. Yeah. And it feels like she's like, which girl should I be? And they're all the same. Yeah. I also really like the development of Toulouse. Yep. Him becoming much more important and much more central is fantastic. Also referencing the fact that he is Toulouse Lautrec, who obviously very well-known painter, but in the film, you wouldn't know that unless you knew who he was. Yeah. It's not made clear. They just call him Toulouse. Yeah. In this, they are explicitly calling him Toulouse Lautrec. They at one point show his painting because he says to Satine, I'm going to make you immortal. And he does this painting of her. Yeah. And they use one of his real life, real world paintings. And they reference the fact that he is in love with Satine as well. Yes, she was his muse. It's a whole thing. I hate that as a plotline, but it's nice because they've got a very platonic relationship. But then it also, and as much as I like the addition of that, it feels like it's definitely setting you up to think like Christian and Satine is a bad thing. You know, yeah. like it's very much a warning type thing. You don't have anything like that in, in the film mm-hmm. where it's all just like, go, go, go for it. We'll all encourage it. Here it's very much like, be careful where you step and don't break this boy's heart. They yeah. know what she's like. So it, it does feel like, why should we be invested? But it's nice to see Toulouse getting more. And I think Ian Carlisle, brilliant in it, absolutely brilliant. Part of the original cast as well for it. Yeah. Well, they also reference the fact that Talitha Trek was a count. Yes. Which is never mentioned in the film at all. He is a bohemian by choice. Mm-hmm. And it is very much a difference to the way that they're presenting Christian in this version compared to the film, where Christian comes from a wealthy home but has decided that this is what he wants <laughs> to do. Ridiculous ideals. Yeah. yeah. Also in this version... His ridiculous obsession with love. He's from Iowa in this version, isn't he? He's American. Which is very bizarre, considering you're putting it on in the West End, you might as well just make it be that he's English, because you're casting an English actor. And... It adds nothing to the story. (laughs) At all. He's from Iowa, like the middle of nowhere in Iowa... And he talks about, like, how long it took him to get here. In the film, he's from England. I'm pretty certain he is. And we have, like, his rich father doing the whole, you know, you are such a fool. You don't really understand all of this. You'll come running back when it's over. Yeah. Which is why he stays. He's so desperate to stay after is prove a point. Yeah. Again, though, there's also that weird bit of, like, suspension of disbelief. Do you really think the bohemian ideals are getting to Iowa? I mean, they probably were, but you, as an English audience, we're probably like, no. It feels I too think, far. I think the reason why they changed it is because they opened on Broadway. Probably. And it's easier to not do an English accent than it is to do a bad one, you yeah. know? But for some reason, when it came over here, they didn't change that. 
I would have just had it be, oh, yeah, he's from London. Or have him be from the middle of nowhere in England. That would be exactly the same thing, you know? He's only in passing heard about these bohemian ideals in books. So he's come to Paris to find his fortune. Yeah. Just make a whole lot more sense. Ultimately, I think think it's it's maybe the only weakness of this show is, is just the adaptation of the script. Well, and I didn't love the accents. Yeah. There were definitely times where they broke. There were definitely times where it just sort of sounded a little more Kermity than I think it was maybe meant to. Yeah. Which I did mention last week <laughs> as well. Is that maybe just a Jamie Moscato has a really good Kermit voice and should take over as Kermit? Maybe. I think the performances here are really strong. You know, and also shout out to Jason Lee Winter, who is the dance captain of this show. I love, I love him. <laughs> we we He's saw incredible. him in Frozen. We as, did as Pubby. Yep, and like here we get to see him doing the cloths. You know, whatever they they are, the aerial performance. Yes, yeah, mm-hmm. and it, it's just incredible. And you know, yeah, that was cool. He, I think it was a swing for us as well on the day. Like he was doing multiple performances for us because it was a two performance day. Mm-hmm. But he was like on stage at one point in like his finery before the shows began. Yeah. And he left and came on in his like, in his Moulin Rouge attire, mm-hmm. which is great. So really yeah, doing I've, a great job. I've been watching through his TikToks, which absolutely go and follow him on TikTok. He does a lot of behind the scenes as an actor stuff. That's very, very cool. But just the sheer amount of costumes that guy has because of all of the roles that he plays. Yeah. It's just crazy. But yeah, there's, I think the one quick change that I was like, how did you do that? He went from a corset to a full suit in about a minute, <laughs> which I was like, wow, that's dedication. Yeah, it is. And I knew they have dresses, obviously, off stage, but still, that is quick. It is, incredibly. The set pieces of this are brilliant. You know, every single scene that takes place in a new area, you've got beautiful backdrops that really make you feel like you're in the centre of Paris. Especially the streets. Yeah, and it feels like there's so much depth to the stage as Mm -hmm. well. When you have Satine's bedroom, like, inside the elephant, that's incredible. They've gone above and beyond, and when they finally do your song having this, like, Eiffel Tower. Oh, for them to spin around on with yeah. the umbrella and the aerials in the background. And, yeah, it's just crazy. Like, that's one of the things that they've managed to translate really well from the film into this adaptation. Mm-hmm. You have, like, the darkness as well inside the Duke's castle when Christian comes to confront him. Yeah, it's comparatively very colourless. Yeah, compared to the rest of the world. Yeah. You've got, like, the, these amazing lights for the Moulin Rouge, mm-hmm. that do, do feel like you're in the middle of a circus. Like, yeah. they're fantastic. Well, we have, same as the film, Satine, her first appearance, she comes in on the swing for yeah. Material Girl. Yeah, Diamonds Are Sparkling forever. Diamond is what it's called. But yes, it's in the film, it's just Material Girl. Here, no, it's just um, a kiss on the hand, maybe quite oh, continental. Yeah. Diamonds Are a Girl's it's Best Diamonds Friend. It's Diamonds Are a Girl's Best Friend in the film. It's the same singer, I'm not wrong. But here, obviously, we've got Diamonds Are Forever, which is just a great intro because we get the slow, sort of seductive. It's nice to see that, like, Bond song as well, like, 
make it onto the stage. Oh, is that written for James Bond? Yeah, it's a uh, Bond opening. Oh, cool. I can't remember which one. Um, then you have Diamonds Are a Girl best, Girl's Best Friend, Material Girl, Single Ladies. Ah, oh, the Single Ladies. Which is great. Oh, it's Diamonds Are Forever is the Bond film. Of course, that's why it's named Diamonds Are Forever, because that's the name of the film. I have seen exactly one James Bond film. And no, that's, that's because, not true. Two. And that's because Mads Mikkelsen was in one of them. Yes. Never Gonna Get It, which is great. And then Diamonds, Jungle Boogie. Like, just all of that layered together. That swing comes down very fast <laughs> yeah and it but it's a very cool set piece because yeah it's used a couple of times and it's one of the best like parts of the film is when we first meet her and this this mysterious character who comes in on this i also really like the set design for their bohemian like attic loft thing it's like an artist studio yeah, yeah it looks really nice the lighting the set design of this show really do bring the world to life mm-hmm. like as cliche as that sounds you could not do this show minimalist. No. This you... is a maximalist heaven. This is a showcase. Mm-hmm. Like, this is absolutely like event theatre. You know, you are going for razzle-dazzle. This isn't... You, you couldn't do this in the same way Chicago's been done, where you have the or- orchestra on stage and heavy suspension of disbelief. Yeah. The show would be lacking if it didn't come with all this glitz, glam, pizzazz. Mm-hmm. In terms of the songs, we've already talked a little bit about where we get some adaptations, but we're going to go, I think, song by song and talk about them briefly. I love the fact that we start with, you know, real lady mama, la do because that is like one of the definitive Moulin Rouge songs. Yeah. I love that. We, I mean, it feels like we're also watching, you know, Amazon Cinderella, the musical, because there's a lot of like crossover here. You know, we get the, do, do we have the rhythm of the night? Did I hear a bit of that in this one? No. Did I not? I'm thinking of the uh, Broadway cast recording. Yeah, it's definitely not in this version. Yeah. We get, the way that they do this opening number. It's a huge montage. We do the whole of Lady Marmalade because we can. The Can Can sequence. Because we can, can, can. And then a couple of songs in there. But then we use it to introduce characters. Yes. So you get Money That's All I Want, which is the Duke. Mm-hmm. And him talking about the uh, upper crust. And so he lights the audience. Yeah. So we have the house lights come up in the what stalls. What a delightful group you are. Yeah, because we're... The upper crust in the yes. stores for this one. Love that. Then they light the circle Circles. and the grand circle and are like, but up there in the rafters, the bohemians. And then they do the sort of bohemian introduction of the characters to Let's Dance, yeah. which is just so fun. Yeah. And having all the characters introduced like this at the beginning, they both end up in boxes at the side watching the Moulin Rouge before we then cut back in time to how christian got here yeah it's really good because it's very much clear as well that when christian comes on he turns the lights on Mm -hmm. he's telling the story so all of these events happened this is his play about satine yeah which is a very nice way to frame it but i love it then we then cut back to his story and we get the uh bohemian ideas so you obviously have the argentinian and toulouse 
yeah. writing their song and you get the hills are alive. Which is still a good joke. Oh, it is great. And I love the addition before of like them trying to come up with what the hills are alive with. Mm-hmm. And then you, you have, you know, never going to give you up and the least romantic song ever, Every Breath You Take. Yeah, but the joke is he's writing all of these love songs. Yeah, it's like um, they ask for references and he's, he's talking about, like, he sings a line or something. It's really fun. But I, I, I don't think Every Breath You Take is a romantic song. It's a stalker song. Mm-hmm. Which kind of fits where this Christian's going. Yeah, a little bit. I really like the truth, beauty, freedom, love sequence. I think that's one that starts off like that typical, like, jukebox musical thing especially when they're speaking royals yeah this i think this is the one that got the biggest laugh going into it yeah but again really great blend of having royals as a new song children of the revolution which is an existing song Mm -hmm. but then (laughs) we are young i love we are young it's like their only song really that's worth listening to but it it fits here it's very well used in this show yeah this gets them back into the Moulin Rouge and obviously we establish the tomfoolery of you're going to pretend to be the Duke and you see Ziedler and the Duke conspiring about what Satine will do. Mm-hmm. And then we get Satine's entrance and like you said, diamonds are forever, diamonds are a girl's best friend, material girl, single ladies, my loving, jungle boogie, diamonds. It's such a great like montage of moments and you know, the way Satine goes from song to song to song with all these different set pieces, it feels, it almost feels like we've got the three hours of the Moulin Rouge mm-hmm. in this like five to ten minute sequence. Yeah. It's very good. And, you know, it's funny seeing like single ladies being performed on a West End stage like this, but it, it does the job really well for me. You know, again, it falls into that category of some of the songs I don't recognise but I don't think they overstay their welcome. Yeah. Also, the bits of the songs that I don't know that they're using are very much, like, soundbite-y. Yeah, like, it. it's a bit of a song that you recognise, but you don't know what the full song of it is. Exactly. So they don't, they're not, like, reliant on it. I think these are songs that everybody mm. wouldn't recognise and know. Well, like, and... Brick House could not tell you what the rest of that song sounds no. like, but I know the bit that is in here. Yeah. That's it. You know, it's it's a very old song that I'm not familiar with. And, you know, my loving, I know that one, you're never going to get it. You know, that one's a fun little sequence. Yeah. This show is very campy. Yes. In the way that it is performed. So we get the whole confusion between who Satine thinks the Duke is and who Ziedler is talking yeah, like about. like her looking behind her and him looking behind they him. They do a big pantomime look at the same time. Because Ziedler's like, the guy on the balcony over there wearing the black coat. And they both look opposite ways. Yes. She sees Christian. He's looking at the Baron. Like, Again, it's that kind of whole thing falls on mistaken identity and relies on the characters that are that stupid. Mm-hmm. But Christian is trying to talk to her. And then we go into shut up and raise your glass. Because this is the thing with the film. They make a huge effort to be the guy with the hat waving at you. And to lose, to lose, waving the hanky, yeah, yeah, and but to lose actively distracts the Duke at the time, so there is like reasonable doubt. Mm-hmm. Whereas here it is just, I looked left, you looked right. No, sorry, the other way. Like it, it could all be avoided if Ziedler just kept his head up and pointed her head in the direction. But you know yes. that's nitpicky. 
Shut up and read your glasses. Brilliant. This is when they kind of meet and they're enjoying their company on the dance floor. Yes. Uh, we get, yeah, shut up and dance with me. We get, so raise your glass if you are wrong. Yeah, and I want to dance with somebody, which yes. is good. This song has a lot of the ensemble in the background. It's obviously like some kind of after party that they're at. And we get some really great moments from the ensemble because this this happened a lot in this show. The performers playing Satine and Christian were brilliant, phenomenal singers. But the ensemble are so interesting because, like I said, even with the film, I'm really interested in what the other people who work here are doing. Like, what's their story? What are they doing? We had some gay characters in the background. Yeah. We had some characters who were very obviously going off uh, just the three of them, which I thought was hilarious. There's some really, some really, really good interaction between the ensemble who whether it's direction or their own choice, have very, very big characters yes. to them. And it feels like there's a lot of autonomy there for them to create their own characters. Yeah. Firework is a good addition here. But I feel like this moment lands kind of flat. I just think... Who direct, Who decided on the music for this? Oh, I don't know. Who did the musical direction? The music supervisor... Yes. ...is Justin Levine. Okay. So I feel like Justin Levine missed that bit of the internet back in, like, 2013, 2014, where people would find pop songs and perform them like their monologues. Yes. And this one was used... Constantly. All the time, yeah. So having Satine, because it's replacing One Day I'll Fly Away. Mm-hmm. And it's just I forgot that's in so this. funny. Yeah. Which I liked that performance from yeah. Nicole Kidman. That was good. But I understand why they wanted to go with a more empowering song. And probably more than modern a, song as well. Than yeah. an I Want song. Yeah. Her starting the song by being like, do you ever feel like a plastic bag? The entire audience just laughed. Yeah, it loses. Because it's funny. <laughs> it, it doesn't go for the impact. And again, it doesn't work with the narrative of Satine wanting to leave the Moulin Rouge that we have with the film where she's like, one day I'll fly away. Like she's a bird trapped in a cage. Yeah. And it's a whole thing. You know. Yeah. yeah. Which really doesn't make any sense because that version of Satine wants to become a performer. But I think she wants to be a legitimate performer. Yes. Not to- and this one wants to literally fly away. She wants to leave. It, it's a licensing thing, I'm sure. And Firework is a perfectly good song. But here, like you say, it's just a little like, do you ever feel like <laughs> It just is funny. Also, bag. this is the only moment in the show where I was like, that's anachronistic. Yeah. Plastic bags do not exist yes. yet. And I'm sh- there are other lines in other songs where people are saying things. And but I was like, that's the most, just funny. Like, glaringly. Because she's speaking it. I mean, if you want really anachronistic, then you've got bad romance. Where it's like, I want you psycho, your vertical stick. Want you in Mario window, baby, you're sick. Because you've got all the Alfred Hitchcock references. Oh, sure. I didn't know that. I know, they're all Alfred Hitchcock films. So, like, that's really anachronistic. Because he's not made films yet. But... Yeah, but like that you can get away with because that's not 
over the top obvious. Yeah. Anyway, I'm nitpicking because no, but this one doesn't hit the same way. I personally just found it really yeah. funny. What I found really funny as well is the exchange between Christian and Satine leading up to your song, where it's, again, the mistaken identity. So while you do is uh, quite different. It's like, ooh, it sometimes goes on quite long. Oh, and it can be quite painful, what I do. You know, and you've got that, huh? You know, like, the, you know, mm. I like that sequence, and I liked it in the film. I like it here. I like it in the film. That's, I think, why I was just like, eh. Yeah, it's really well done in the film. This song is gorgeous. Like, Jamie Moscato absolutely nails this one. Mm-hmm. My gift is my song. I do think this isn't a negative, Mm -hmm. but I prefer the film one purely for nostalgia factor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and this is one of the difficulties in keeping some of the songs because you are already facing an uphill battle that Mm -hmm. people love the Elton John version, people like the Ewan McGregor and Nicole Kidman version. Now you've got this version. Yeah, and I think that's bound to happen when you have songs that are being performed as character pieces rather than just singing them. Mm-hmm. Obviously, when Elton John sings, he's it's all a character piece. But the version in the film where he puts the emphasis on green or they're blue, where he, like, shouts green, mm-hmm. and it's, like, a big moment, mm-hmm. compared to here, the emphasis is on I've ever seen, which... Yeah. So he kind of skips over that green or they're blue bit, and I'm always like, <laughs> I want more. Yeah. But again, but that like, will be a musical direction yeah. thing because it's in every version. And I do like that he's making this his own, yeah. you know, a little bit. I think that's definitely why they're doing it. I will say that the pitch sequence is one of my most disappointing sequences. This is the one where you have... There'll be painters and yes. poets and entrepreneurs. Yeah, this is good. I like that it has Livia Murray's in it. So, I think that's funny. But the thing is, like, that's they actually funny. have the same tune in this. They actually have the so, you know, like... Gallop Infernal. Yeah. And they wrote those lyrics, I'm pretty certain, for the film anyway. Mm-hmm. So why could they not just have that as a sequence? They do have that. No, I know, but just did that be the sequence? Because it's not long enough, yeah. basically. Does it need to be long? I don't think so. Yes, because they're filling... Actually, no. There's no reason for it to be this long. There's no reason for it to be this long. Because it's not till... The pitch song already is like two minutes. I think the difficulty is... Is because they're getting rid of the courtesans and elephants, you know. Bohemians, Indians, you know, all of that. They get rid of all those references because... Oh, he's a gangster. Yeah, they've changed what spectacular spectaculars about so therefore it's the song yeah it's doesn't, not set in india anymore yeah the song doesn't work because they've changed what the play is so why are they changing the play mm, probably because the stereotypes weren't great no and i'd i'd agree there but the whole point is like evil maharaja but they can just maybe repurpose yeah he's a gangster yeah, he's That's an all evil done. gangster you know maybe repurpose some of the lyrics to make that bit work it just is like I really well, love. Well, we the one thing I do like about this, yeah. is that we have the Toulouse re- revealing the plot before the plot happens yes. thing about how she's. Oh, what does he say? Anyway, she he says that she has some obscure malaise yes. that she's ill with, and he sort of looks at Christian while he's saying it. And Christian doesn't notice. And I was like, that's Toulouse brilliant. knows full well what's going on here. Yes. 
And that's really nice because it is that reference. You know, He's like, my dude. Seriously, <laughs> Pay attention. Him. And you're not here to fall in love. You're here to... Write our play yeah, for us. Write our play for us. I was going to say it's been extended to cover for them bringing the street out, but we then get sympathy for the Duke. Yeah. Which has You Can't Always Get What You Want, which I always... I love that song, mostly because of House, like the show. But yeah. it's so well used here. Because you have the whole double meaning of it. Yeah. Where the Duke thinks he's being all seductive and saying to her, hey, you, you know, you can't always get what you want, but you might now. And she's singing, oh, God, I have to sleep with this dude. Yeah. What I like about this song is that it's a mashup of three Rolling Stone songs. I think you that's can't very... can always get what you want a Rolling Stone Yeah, song. Sympathy for the Devil, You Can't Always Get What You Want and Gimme Shelter are all Rolling Stone songs. And I think that's a very clever thing to do. Because so far we've mostly it's seen... It's kind of the only thing the Duke's done, right? Yeah, so far what we've had is like a mashup of multiple different songs. But to have all of this here is fantastic. Mm-hmm. You know, that that's perhaps like my favourite thing about this sequence is the fact that the writing is very clever to blend these songs in that way. It's very glee, like it's Rolling Stones week, but I liked it. And then Nature Boy. There was a boy. Which I cannot take seriously anymore, because as we discussed in our Christmas episode about Muppets Christmas Carol, we have now watched... Oh, what was the film called? A Very Muppet Christmas? Yes. Which contains a frog. An entire Mulan Rouge sequence where Gonzo sings There Was a Frog. Yeah. And so now that's what I expect to hear. Yes. So I was giggling. You were giggling. But you know This was a phenomenal performance. Yes. And we'll like, we'll talk about which version of Moulin Rouge is is our best towards the end of the year. Will it be the Muppets Moulin Rouge? Will it be this Moulin Rouge? Will it be the film? I'm going to tell you now, it's going to be the Muppets. And you don't even see the full version of the Muppets. <laughs> you don't need to. No, but no, you do need to. They need to make that a film. Yeah, they do. And thank you. Who would who would you put as the Duke? It would have to be like Fozzie as the Duke. Or is the Duke the human character? No, because Fozzie would be Zila. No, because the way that Muppets movies work, the rules are the romantic leads have to be human and then everybody else is a Muppet. No, because we, we changed that for here. Because we'd have Piggy be Satine and Kermit be Christian. Cause, no. Because no, we because, need to have no, that. No, because Piggy would want to be Satine, but she would be cast as whatever the mean friend of Satine oh, is Oh, the called. one who falls in love with the Argentinian. Mm-hmm. No, but you see, this is the thing is, you, your whole thing doesn't work if we don't have Kermit being Christian. Because you don't get there was a frog. Mm-hmm. So he has to be. But I'm willing to accept that we have a female human lead as Satine and then we also have a human romantic that's lead in the, the Duke. That's not rules. That's not how this works. <laughs> I mean... No, I know who you would have as the Duke. It's that creepy one. Oh, yeah. Boom. What's his name? Uh, it's the, the Phantom of the Opera and I always forget his name. Uncle Deadly, I think it is, but yeah. it's not quite Uncle Deadly. You say that... He's always cast... Kermit and Piggy are the romantic leads in Treasure Island. So, That's because there wasn't previously a romantic plot. It's uh, like if they did Muppets Pride and Prejudice, Darcy and Elizabeth would be humans, everybody else would be a Muppet. They're also the romantic characters in Christmas Carol. Yes, but Piggy They always end up together No, in Miss Piggy isn't playing 
Scrooge's romantic interest. No. She's the secondary love interest. That's what I'm saying. Is Kermit and Piggy are always love interest? Which just means that Kermit gets to play the narcoleptic Argentinian, <laughs> which I... would be amazing. Mm. Anyway, we're tangenting now. We are tangenting. Uh, we go into Elephant Love Medley, which is absolutely brilliant and a great way to end Act One, where we have that. At this point as well, the Duke and Satine have have hooked up, like after sympathy for the Duke. Yeah, we are made aware that that's happened. They are hooking up. Elephant Love Medley, we obviously get like, one more night, one more night. In the name of love. And Anything. then we get the new edition. Yeah. So we get Play the Game, which has to be All one of my favourite songs ever. Play the Game. Play the... Yeah, I love that Queen song. It's a shame we get that Queen song and not another Queen song, but can't get everything we want in Moulin Rouge, the musical. No. I really love that the bit is like love hurts take, take on me take on but I really really love when they do um, I'm all out of faith this is how I feel because I love Torn it's one of my favourite songs mm-hmm. it's not up there with like I need a hero yeah then we go into again the songs that are in the original one Up Where We Belong Heroes they have changed which bit of heroes is being used yeah. but I like that your song is thrown in there, and then for while we're on the Eiffel yeah. Tower, I will always love yeah, you. Yeah, I do love the words love got to do, got to do with it. And then you get the I can't help falling in love with you. And yeah, it, it ends really well, and you have the, you know, how wonderful life is. Mm. And, you know, End of Act One, really great way to end it. Very big buzz in the audience at the time. And then our nice Parisian music comes back on. Yeah. We have a nice little break. And we come back, as previously mentioned, to the song that's not Roxanne. Yeah. And we get backstage romance, which is just brilliant. Like, bad romance is the perfect addition to Moulin Rouge. Like, if Moulin Rouge was made... A decade later, mm-hmm. bad romance would have been in it from the get-go. Well, and that toxic and sweet dreams made yes. of this are mixed into yeah. it, which is great. Tainted love as well. Like, this is such a good way to get yourself back into the world. Mm. The... Oh, that's her name, Nini. Yes. The other Moulin Rouge dancer who... Is jealous In of... the film, is very jealous of Satine. She's also a lot older than Satine. <laughs> in this version, they call each other sister because yeah. they've been here for so long. She makes jokes about how if Satine leaves, she'll be the headliner, but ultimately loves she, her. Yeah. She's so much more It's like more that professional rivalry, as opposed to her just being like, you'll get your end in once the dude gets his end in. Yeah. She's like just such a one-note, like character in the first and then the way, way she's like you know where she slips up as well like oh on purpose on purpose yeah. like oops did i say penniless writer i I'm do like player. that the difference here is that in the film the duke is really clueless yeah isn't aware what's going on because and people have to tell him in the stage show he's he knows what's going on the whole time he's kind of like I'll deal with this guy later, kind of, with everything. And it's not until Christian and Satine start being really overt with it that he's like, okay, no, this is a problem. It's it's a bit, and we keep the line where he's like, because she doesn't love you, line. I mean, him. Him, yeah. But even before that, he kind of already knows. has, but that's when it becomes a... 
a problem. Oh, you're yeah. talking to me, boy, mm-hmm. type thing. But we have Christian and Satine are so clueless. Christian mm. especially is very much separate from the film because, like I say, they, they were a bit more copped on with that version. This feels like, you know, in The Greatest Showman, mm-hmm. where Zendaya and Zac Efron have their whole thing where Zendaya's like, we cannot be together or I will literally get murdered if I'm seen with a white guy. And he's like, but I've got personal loss as well. Yeah, no, you haven't, Zac Efron. Yeah, chill out. White I boy. love you, Troy, but... But that's what this feels like. Satine keeps being like, hey, we need to be more careful if we're seen. This is going to cause problems because she also knows that the Duke now owns the theatre. Yes. So that will pose a and huge also, problem. also, she knows she's dying. Well, that too. So she's kind of just like, look, I'm trying to save my whole family before I die, but, you know, you sing your little love songs, have fun. Yeah. And Christian's kind of stalking her. He is. He's not able to act professionally in the workplace. I still love Come What May. Like, Come What May is a really great original song. Mm-hmm. And it is really beautiful. Then we get Only Girl in a Material World, which is only girl in the world slash diamonds are a girl's best friend and material girl. And I, I like the idea here of him trying to fit her into upper society. But there's this one moment that for me was quite interesting is there's a bit where he's like changing her clothes and he like rips off her clothes mm-hmm. and she stands there and she covers herself like in her underwear mm-hmm. Which is interesting because obviously what she's done most of the show is parade around in her underwear. But she's being made to feel uncomfortable because this isn't in her own... That's exactly it. And I thought it was a very interesting moment for the character when you're kind of like, you know, reminded that she is still a human as opposed to an object that both these men want to lay claim to. Mm -hmm. It was a very good moment. It's a very small moment, but I really liked it. And this, this sequence is great, you know. But it's going to get topped in a moment by an even better sequence. So obviously everyone starts to become aware that there is a problem brewing. They know that they're close to slipping up. So Ziedler's like, right, I'm going to sort this boy out. You go and you sort the Duke out. And I'm going to sort him. He goes to the flat. It's like, have you ever heard of our friend, the Green Fairy? Yes, and this is Satine dressed as the Green Fairy when she Yes, it's not Kylie Minogue in this version. That would be uh, cool. Uh, and I love the bit here because obviously they're sipping the absinthe and, you know, one, two, three, one, two, three, three, because it's Chandelier. Mm-hmm. This is such a great song, you know, for all the stuff about how Sia is an awful person. This song is great and it works really well here to show that, like, kind of melancholy party that they're having. Yeah. Because this isn't fun. They're trying to get Christian blackout drunk so that he doesn't pose problems to anything. Mm-hmm. And it's just a really interesting choice of song. And again, the beat of the one, two, three, one, two, three for the shot taking. Mm. It's great. Uh, yeah, one of, one of the bits I had no expectations going into and I came out of it feeling like, wow, like that was great. If you told me that Chandelier would be one of my favourite sequences in this show, I would not have believed you. Mm. It's a good use of the song. Mm. And it gets reprised again in a second where we have Christian's descent with the El Tango de Roxanne, which you have to keep this version. You absolutely have to keep this song in here because it really is a huge part of... Yeah, we didn't get the opt-up version, which... uh... It's the opt-up version. 
which Aaron Tivitt is kind of famous for. Yeah. It's when, when he sings, why does my heart cry feelings I can't fight? When he says can't, he goes like all the way up. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we didn't like really high, but we didn't get that version. I am sure that there is some kind of legality around mm-hmm. that. Because I know with Wicked, there are opt-up versions of all of the songs, but you have to have special permission from the musical director to, to do, do it. that. And that's like on big nights where you've got family in the audience or something like yeah, it's like, oh, my my agent, whole family are coming to see this show. Or it's possibly an agent for my next gig is going to be here at this show and I need to show them what I can do. Yeah, do you mind if I opt up on yeah. The Wizard and I? And it's like, yeah, go for it. But yeah. it doesn't happen every night because you would break your voice. Yeah, you would. Um, you absolutely would. It's, it's Again, it has the same power, the same like majesty that the film version has. I don't feel like this version goes on as long as the film. It may be the one bit with the film where I'm like, okay, let's move on now, please. I think it does go on as long as the film, but because everything else surrounding this yeah. in the stage show goes on a lot longer, put on the red it doesn't light. feel as long. Yeah. Crazy rolling. Yeah. Well, which <laughs> is one of those moments where I was like, huh, Adele. <laughs> and that's what I was thinking about. Does crazy rolling happen before or after the Duke has given the ultimatum? I think it's after. It's after because he they're having the whole... Um, Everything's getting worse. And everything like, is bad. We've had to break up. Tell him that he's he means nothing. Yeah, and that bit's really powerful when Christian marches in drunk and the Duke's like... Go on, tell him. Mm. And like, does the Duke floor Christian as well when he doesn't leave? He tries to do a little bit of um, like, come what may, I will love you. And Satine's just like looking out. I think toward... he trips him. Yeah, he, tri- he does something, doesn't he? Yeah, that he ends good. up on the floor anyway. Yeah. And yeah, we 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 were very much in the end game here with the songs where you have the, you know, crazy rolling. This is where. Christian starting to conspire he's going to shoot himself on stage and is that how you took that well it looks like so he's loading up a prop gun with real bullets yeah so the sequence that they have in their fictional play within the play Mm -hmm. is the gangster is like you're mine I'm taking you away from here and the love interest who Christian is playing is like, if I can't have you, no one can. And he holds the gun out and Satine's character's like, go on then. You know, if you can kill me, then you might as well kill me. Yeah. And so you, so yeah, I, I thought he was going to kill her. So that's how it comes across. Like, as, oh, it, no, but it's, I feel like it's, it's, it's a double, it's a, it's a murder suicide thing. Like he's going to kill her and kill himself. But it's a weird sentiment to have with this character where it's all like the, the ideals of truth, beauty, freedom and love. Where it's like, if I can't have you, nobody can. Right, because that's that's the in the film, the Duke's whole thing. Mm-hmm. He's like, I want exclusive ownership of this and It feels girl. like that's what the gangster, what like Ziedler's character should be doing. Yeah, but it's not. It's cra- Because realistically, the play they're supposed to be doing... The Bohemian Rhapsody is Romeo and Juliet. That's the I show love it's called Bohemian Rhapsody, though. Like, it's a really fun little joke. Again, jarring the fact that we don't have any other queen in here other than play the game. I can completely understand. I guess now's a good time to say it. 
we should have had Chomos go on here. Mm. I can completely understand why we don't with We Will Rock You already being an existing franchise and coming back to the West End, you know, currently touring. It probably isn't in the best interests to have the Queen musical, one of its featured songs also being in its competition. Yeah. However, it works so perfectly to give Ziedler some vulnerability here and just that final moment of Satine facing up to what she's going to do. It would be perfect here. Mm-hmm. It's a shame. Like, I can completely rationalise why it's not there and I can completely rationalise why we don't have uh, Like a Virgin because obviously, you know, the Duke and Satine are being intimate. Mm-hmm. It's still a shame because it's a great number, but I, it just I felt Show Must Go On was really lacking here. But this crazy rolling was a really good replacement. You know, you make me crazy. Yeah. You know, it's a really good one. And again, who? Yeah, like the Knowles Barkley sequence of it is fantastic, and then obviously Adele. If you're going to have any Adele sequence, this is the right one, isn't it? Mm-hmm. You can't really have Let the Sky Fall two Bond songs in one musical. The nice reprise of your song, it works. It's it's appropriately sad. Yeah, it's it feels very... Um, and like I say, I don't really remember the end of the film, so you'll have to tell me how mm-hmm. similar this is, but at Little Fall of Rain, yeah, like very- she's lying there singing... Your song to yeah, him. It's very similar to the film. You know, the difference is obviously Christian's about to storm out and Toulouse is like, the greatest thing you'll ever love is just to be loved. Learn. Learn. And, you know, whatever. <laughs> Which is what my... Um, bag says, my yeah. My bag says, the greatest mm-hmm. thing you'll ever learn is just to be loved and love in return. And then they have this nice, like, come what may finale sequence. The Duke goes to shoot and... Ziedler punches him and the gun goes flying over the Eiffel Tower mm-hmm. and everything's triumphant and then the curtains close and she falls and it is very little fall of rain that, you know, she's there coughing and everyone knows what's happening. Christian's like, I just got you back. Yeah. You know, so this sequence works, but I get the sense of here it's actually on stage in front of everyone. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's creative liberty for Christian's story, isn't it, here as well? Mm. My... This might have been my favourite bit of this entire show. The finale song. Hey, Before we get sister, the encore. Soul sister. Yeah. No. Before that bit. Yeah. My favourite part of the finale song is Christian sings Come What May. Yeah. And as it fades out, we very, very quietly get the girls starting to sing yeah. Marmalade. But it's very, very quiet. It's fading it out. And then the lights go dark, but we've got them posed in the background. This is a really great time to talk about these characters, who I love. We have Baby Doll, Arabia, Le Chocolat, and then Nini. Yeah. Are our four girls. One of those girls is trans. Like, canonically trans. Yeah. She is a performer at the Moulin Rouge who also just happens to be trans, and it's just awesome. 
Like, it's just really, really cool. It is. It's very cool. Like, it was a really nice moment as well that she's just there and she looks up to Satine and... Yeah. There's a nice, like, relationship as well. You can sense that they are a family in this struggling place. Yeah, well, and there's bits where Baby Doll says, like, I can't go back out onto the streets and... Satine is like, you will never have to. I will like take care of you. Le Chocolat is ridiculously talented. Mm-hmm. And then we have Arabia and then Nini, like I say. And they, they sort of bookend the show. Because we have, obviously, this play into it where they're sort of silhouetted at the back. It fades out. It's the end of the show so that we can end quietly. Yes. And then everybody comes out to perform more, 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 which is the encore song. So we get Lady Marmalade again. Yeah. We get Hey Ya. Hey Ya. Which is just such a great use of that song. It is, because there's nowhere else it really fits in. It, it's here yeah. as, a, as a psych you up after a really sad ending. Mm-hmm. And we have, it's Christian Santiago, which is the Argentinian, yeah. his name, Toulouse and the Duke all come out and sing Hey Ya together. Love that. Yep, they we put get the, aside their um, differences for the greater good. We get the can-can again. We get a bit of bad romance again. What's yeah. love got to do with it? Crazy. And then the Gallop Infernal. Yes. Yeah. It's a That's nice great. little ending. It really is. And you leave feeling incredibly triumphant. Mm. We also got one of my favourite things that happens in just about every big musical nowadays. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is a single piece of confetti just confetti slowly. falling partway through the show so that you know at some point there's going to be a confetti cannon that goes off. Yeah. It's great. I, I love, love that. <laughs> Foreshadowing. So, overall thoughts on Moulin Rouge the musical. Like, we've talked about some things we didn't like as much, but we've talked about things we do like. I think the weakest thing here really is the plot. Mm, but I don't care about it because I was the dancing. Everything up, is ridiculous. I don't think you're going to see Moulin Rouge necessarily because you remember the plot of the film really well. You're going because you remember the songs. Well, and the thing is, I don't think you would go and see. I'm sure some people do go and see it without having seen the film. Mm-hmm. Generally, we've all seen the film. Yes, and you are going to it because you've seen the film and you love the film. Yeah, I which. I, be very interested to know if people have gone and seen it with no prior knowledge at all. Yeah, how did you feel when she dies at the end? Because, like... Yeah, did you care or, you know... Yeah. This 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 musical has a tough legacy because it's living up to something that is very well-loved, mm. I think. I've never spoken to somebody who doesn't like Moulin Rouge the film. Mm. Yeah, no, me either. It's pretty well liked. Yeah. But like I say, like obviously there are all the changes and I think if you know the film, you'll just be like, Oh yeah, well obviously it's a stage version, we've got to make it longer. Yeah. Fair enough. So that we can justify paying as much as we did. But also I think once you know that she dies at the end, there's really nothing plot wise that's gonna surprise you. No, because it's almost like it's that twist initially, it's just like what? Hmm. You know, you do get your hopes up that they'll find some way to save her, but that's not going to happen. The thing is, for this show being longer, it does feel like it's lost a lot of the magic of their relationship. Mm-hmm. But you I think know. it's because they gloss over the sort of honeymoon period that they have where they're sneaking around. Yeah, which is captured really well through film montage. You know, through the come what may sequence, 
you can't do that as well here. And I do like the fact that the Duke is a viable option, you know, like as a viable alternative. Yeah. I just wish more was done with it. Mm-hmm. What is your best song? Hmm. It's really difficult because I'm, I'm trying... going to have two. I'm going to have one for the performance. Yep. And one for the... I listen to it in the car all the time. Mm-hmm. So performance-wise... Welcome to the Moulin Rouge yeah. is amazing. A, so is yeah. more, more, more. But I'm going to have to say backstage romance, redonkulous choreography, vocals, the workouts yeah. that is being done by these performers. I'm just putting crazy. that as my best song as well. I'm trying very hard to distance. So like, I love Come What May and I love your song, mm-hmm. but I loved them before. So I'm really looking at the newer songs here. And that one for me just is brilliant. Like all of these songs would have absolutely, like this would be a sequence in the film if the film was a decade later. Like I said, I do really like Chandelier as well as a sequence, but Backstage Romance is my best song. Mm-hmm. What's your best song to listen to? Because that's my best performance. The song that I listen to the most often in the car is Sparkling Diamond. I mean, really, I would say the one I'd listen most to is this version of the Elephant Love Medley, because I do think it's done very, very well. Um, but I do think the Sparkling Diamond I could listen to as well. I think that the flow of that is really good. Hmm. What would you say is your skip song? Or the song that you just feel like... Firework. Yeah, it is. It is firework. I mean, don't I get like me... if they'd mashed it up with something... It's one of the only songs that's new that isn't a mashup, like other than like Chandelier. But even that had bits of yeah. other things in it. Come What May and Your Song, obviously, were always songs yeah. on their own. That and Nature Boy, but this is the only new. But Nature one. Boy gets extended. It's not as big. Well, and, exactly. Yeah. I would say Fireworks slash the So Exciting Pitch Song are my skip ones because I didn't like this version of the Pitch Song. It was going up against something I truly love. Fair enough. Who was your MVP from our performance that we saw? The ensemble. Just generally for buying into yeah. like... Or maybe the four main Moulin Rouge dancers. Yeah. Because... Like the Lady Marmalade. The gang, yeah. Arabia, the Chocolat, Baby Doll and Nini. Because they were all just incredibly talented. And very much carrying the Mm -hmm. rest of this but that's the same for all of the ensemble cast because like we've already talked about this is this show is about it being a spectacular it is about seeing all of these huge dance numbers huge performances big songs that people know and it has to be at 200% all the time yeah absolutely so I think because of that, I'm giving it to the ensemble because they rocked. See, I do. I um, Siegel was good. I'd have him as a backup. Yeah, I think Jamie Muscato and, and Matt Rickson were both incredible. So Christian and, and Ziedler, I thought, you know, Jamie Muscato's voice was gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Like genuinely, he was one of my favourite bits. But in you know, I, I feel like as a character, Christian, th- this version relies on us knowing the film. I think like with Christian and Satine. Mm-hmm. However, I really loved um, Ziedler's performance. You yeah. Know, for me, they're tied between a character that, you know, perhaps I'm, I liked Christian more here because I've seen the film, whereas here, seeing more about Ziedler and just his charisma and gravitas was amazing. 
Yeah. And he's the character I'd want to play. Hmm. Like, I would want to play Ziedler. I just loved his energy, his essence. You know, he was brilliant. Nice. Who would you want to play in this, if anyone? No. It doesn't feel like it's a sort of show where it has that kind of demand for, like, who I'd want to be if this was a school production of this, which you're not doing a school production of this Absolutely. anytime soon. You can't do what they did with Heathers and, like, rework it fundamentally. That should sh- never have happened either. <laughs> no, but I can appreciate it, you know. I can appreciate how they've reworked it. It'd be very difficult to do a school version of this. It's the same as, like... I know schools do productions of Newsies. Yeah. But unless you have a whole lot of dancers in your school, don't do Newsies. Same with Billy Elliot, really. Yeah. Well, you only need one kid that can dance for Billy Elliot. Mm. It's a it's a dance musical, you know. Mm-hmm. It's like nobody does cats. <laughs> you know, we're not doing cats. Which is a shame. Cats need some love. <laughs> What's your star rating for this one? Oh, five. Yeah, it's a five star. Like, don't get 100%. me wrong. 100%. This was amazing. We talked about stuff we didn't like, but I think that's true of all shows. But yeah, it was just, it was it was amazing. Yeah, like, don't get me wrong. Obviously, the plot doesn't necessarily hit it, but you don't really care coming out of it. We were so happy and in such a good mood. Like, we'd seen an event. It was just absolutely brilliant. And if you get a chance, you should absolutely head to the Piccadilly Theatre to check this one out. Do you think this is going to become almost a permanent addition to London and the West End? I know dealing in absolutes, considering, you know, like, Phantom is leaving Broadway, even if Andrew Lloyd Webber has since said it'll be temporary. The Phantom's communicated with me about how much he loves being in New York. Do you think... I thought that was Coney Island. (laughs) Do you think that this will have the same kind of staying power as things like... Lame is things like the Phantom that and will just live in the Piccadilly Theatre. I think it should. I I think this is a probably a commercial success. I haven't looked into any of the sort of numbers surrounding this at all. No. But people love it is a very beloved film. It is very much one of those shows that if you have friends in from, you know, out of town, they're gonna go and see it. It's definitely going to be a tourist show because, again, it's a film that's been translated into a whole bunch of different languages, so everyone will have seen it. And it's not asking too much of you mentally. You know, we're not, they're not asking the big questions with this show. This is the thing with the Piccadilly Theatre is really since Jersey Boys, mm. it hasn't had, like, a permanent... Oh, and, and since Greece, really. It hasn't had something that's been there for a long, old time. So Pretty Woman was there for 15 days before the pandemic hit. Then you had the seasonal death of a salesman, seasonal layman trilogy, and the seasonal curious incident of the dog in the night time. You had Strictly Ballroom there for a bit, which seems to be this is the Baz Luhrmann theatre. I think, based on the level of changes to the actual theatre itself, Moulin Rouge is here to stay. Yeah. I know that get-ins and get-outs are made very easy but not easy but like you know quick but I really hope Moulin Rouge stays what's interesting is that um Ewan McGregor was in the Guys and Dolls that was running at um Piccadilly Theatre in 2005 to 2007 
Which is why there's a Simpsons joke about it. Yeah. yeah. But like you and McGregor being in this mm-hmm. and, you know, all that. I'd love for him to come back and play Zedler. It'd be interesting. Well, they're saying that he doesn't ever look like he's aged, so... He probably could still get away with being... I think the problem is... Mm, he could is... get away with being Christian. No, but you'd want to see him as Christian. Nah. I don't know. I think I think it's here to stay. I think it very much depends on how well, you know, because this opened over a year ago, you know, 20th of January 2002, and it doesn't feel like it's going anywhere anytime soon. And, you know, I think the Piccadilly Theatre could use this as a, we need a, a real crowd attraction. Yeah. So next week, we are finally heading on to Netflix. Mm-hmm. And we're going to finally talk about 13. And then, uh, to be determined, hopefully confirmed next week, is our birthday musical. Our three years that we've been doing this wonderful little podcast. Yeah. Um, have you any ideas of what you'd like to do or what you want to subject, subject me to? No, I haven't thought about it yet. Have a think. We'll, we'll talk about that next week. And then I believe the week after, we will be uh, hitting up Lady in the Tramp. Yes. And we will uh, have another week of some kind of musical exploit before we get to Phantom Week. Hmm. We need to start thinking about what our Phantom Week is going to be this I year. I know what our Phantom Week is going What's to be What's our Phantom Week going to be this year? I'm not telling you. That's because you don't really know. I do know. You're just not finding out yet. <laughs> As always, uh, you can be the first to find out if you head over to Twitter and Instagram at It's a Musical Pod and follow us, where we will share all of our news of upcoming uh, episodes, and you can vote in them and let us know your thoughts on them. You can also subscribe to us on a multitude of good podcasting platforms. We are available on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, on Google Podcasts, on the Amazon Music app under the podcast section of the library. You can find us on Stitcher, Good Pods, and our OG hosts, Podbean. And if you like the show, why not leave us a review and share us with your friends, your family, your dog walker, and your nan. Let tell the world that it's a musical podcast. And thank you for listening, as always. Uh, we will be back, same bat place, same bat channel, next week. Have a wonderful musical Wednesday. 